All right, so we are in the book of Jude tonight. And if you will turn to the book of Jude, that is before the book of Revelation, you will find the little epistle of Jude. We're going to do verses 1 through 11 tonight. And we want to talk about this book, this little epistle written by Jude. Uh, the book of Jude and its information that's contained in here closely follows 2 Peter chapter 2. And it is primarily dealing with false teachers. False teachers and um, what they do and why they are doing such things. Um, there's some interesting information here. Very small little book, 25 verses, but... The book of Jude for us today um, is very relevant. Some people will say, well, why, why would we even want to... Jude is hardly ever preached on. But the book of Jude is relevant because we have many, many false teachers and false prophets that are out in the world today. And their main motivating goal is to deceive Christians, to deceive people. And so all of God's word is great and all of God's word is wonderful. And we want to look at God's Word and the words in His Bible to help us, to help us grow as Christians and to be aware of things that are happening in the world. So, we have the book of Jude. And who is Jude? Well, the Bible says here in Jude chapter 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. The brother of James, he says. Now, this could be the... A, he was a brother of James, who was the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Essentially, Jesus' brother. Jude could be Jesus' brother. Or he could be a brother of the uh, apostle James. It's not known. It's not clear that he is the brother of Jesus. Really, it doesn't matter. The words that he's speaking to us, the words that he is telling us about false teachers in his day and now in our day, really doesn't matter who he is. It doesn't matter if he's the brother of Jesus, and it doesn't matter if he's the brother of James the Apostle. It does not really matter. We ought not to be hung up on that. He says that he is Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Notice there the word, the servant. This is only used twice in all of the epistles are written from Romans on to Revelation, only twice is that word, the servant, used. Normally it's a servant or an apostle. But here Jude uses it. What does it mean when he says he is the servant of Jesus Christ and not a servant? The directs you to an object or an individual. He is saying that I am the servant of Jesus Christ. An an means one that belongs to of many. So Jude is here is saying that he is the servant of Jesus Christ. He wants people to know that he's sending this epistle to, that he is the very servant of Jesus Christ. And he uses servant. That's a, that's a word to describe the humility that he has, that he really, that like most of us, that we're nothing before the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he talked about that he was the brother of James. You can find that in Matthew chapter 10. Let's turn there. Uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 
chapter 10, verse 3. We're going to see this here. And it says this, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Now, some people believe that the word Thaddeus there also is meaning of Jude. But again, there is no clear information that tells us that Jude was either the apostle's brother or Jesus' brother. And again, as I said before, it really doesn't matter. He uses a series of what's called triads here. Uh, You find this in verse 1, where he talks about, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. You find the word sanctified, preserved, and called there. Now, he says, notice this, this this is very interesting. He says to them that, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. You're going to notice three different things here. One, it says that sanctified by God the Father. And the word sanctified just simply means dedicated or consecrated to God. He is telling us, because what does he say? The servant of Jesus Christ, the brother, to them that are sanctified by God. And we as Christians are sanctified by God if we're saved in the Lord Jesus. Sanctified or dedicated to God consecrated by God. God the Father himself has dedicated you and consecrated you to himself, for himself, because he wants you. He loves you. It says, and preserved in Jesus Christ. The word preserved there just simply means kept. Now, if I was to say to you, I've got some peaches, and I'm going to put them in this jar and close the lid to preserve it and set it up there. What is doing the preserving? The jar is keeping those peaches. This is the same with us, with the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says, because you notice there, it says preserved in Jesus Christ. As Ephesians 1 says that we are in Christ Jesus. And here we're preserved, we're kept in Christ Jesus. This is the great thing of salvation that we need to really understand that when we become saved, we can never lose our salvation. People call it eternal security or once saved, always saved. We fully believe that. I have done a study on this through the entire Bible and the Bible proves for fact that we can never lose our salvation. Jesus said that all that the Father gives me, I shall lose none. No no one shall pluck them from my hand. Jesus has you. When Jesus has you, when you are saved in him, he has you and he doesn't let you go. He keeps you. You are preserved in him. So that is a very interesting point to know that take heart, be encouraged. That if you're in Jesus Christ, you are preserved in Him. Nothing can take you out of Him. Nothing. You're preserved in Him. You are saved continually. Then it says, and called. Or that means invited. So that we are sanctified by by God the Father. We are preserved in Jesus Christ and we're called. As Christians, we are are sanctified, preserved, and called. We're invited to come. And that is the gospel of inviting people to come and to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Jude goes on and he says, Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. 
There again, the use of the, of the three, the triads. In verse 1, it was sanctified, preserved, and called. And in verse 2, it's mercy, peace, and love. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. Verse 3, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He says that he gave all diligence, which means a strong effort. He needed to write to the people that he was writing to. And ultimately, in God's great and wonderful wisdom, he's allowed the scriptures to come down to us. And what a privilege it is to have the words of God preserved in the scriptures that we can have. That he says that he gave a strong uh, a strong effort to write to us of the common the common salvation. It was needful for me. Now, before I go any further, let's look back at that word common salvation. Common salvation. The scriptures say that how shall we neglect so great a salvation? He says then, it was needful for me, needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, this is something today that people are not earnestly contending for the faith. And to contend means basically to, to fight for. And Jude is saying here, the faith of the, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is, doesn't and shouldn't be neglected. It shouldn't be just, if someone comes and attacks it, let them do it. We should earnestly strongly contend for the faith, he says. And it was once and all delivered unto the saints. That the faith of Jesus Christ was delivered unto the apostles and they delivered it unto their disciples and so on. This is the faith of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have and that we adhere to that we should contend earnestly for and not allow usurpers and not allow these people who are wicked that are out there in the world that are trying to destroy or demean our faith. We should fight for our faith. As again, the scriptures say, how shall we neglect so great a salvation? So we should fight for the salvation. We should fight for the faith of the gospel, of the truth of the gospel, and not allow people to water it down, usurp it, get rid of it, make it light of it. And this is what happens today. Absolutely, it is what happens today. You have the faith movement, prosperity gospel. You have false teachers and false prophets. And you have all kinds of people teaching all kinds of things other than the Bible. Things contrary to the Bible. Now he says there in verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord, or turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that there are certain men crept in unawares. They were there in his day, and they are there and here in our day. And there are certain men, that means a, uh, that there are certain men, those are uh, uh, particular individuals, men, crept in unawares. And that is exactly what happens today. You get these people that will talk about salvation, and they'll use so many 
good words and terms that makes you believe that what they're saying is true, but they're not. And they creep in unaware. They It says here, who were before of old ordained or marked out to this condemnation. They are ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, or that means excessive lust or unbridled lust. And they denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice a couple things there. One, it says that our Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The same, one and the same. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. And the second thing is there, notice it says, and denying the only Lord God. There is two ways that you can deny the Lord Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. The first one is that you can deny with your mouth. And Peter had said that, that he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can deny with your mouth, with your heart and your mind and your mouth speaks it out, that you can deny the Lord that way. The second way of denying the Lord is, as it says in Titus chapter 1, verse 16. Let's turn there real quick. Titus chapter 1, verse 16 talks about how you can also deny the Lord. It says there, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being an abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. So you can deny Him with your mouth, with words, and you can deny Him in your works. And these men are denying the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's not hard to see. That's not hard to understand when you see these people that come into the church and who flat out just deny the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can also spot them because they will deny the Lord in works. That they're not going to... Because the Bible says that no man can call Jesus Lord except by the Spirit. So you're not going to come in and find people doing good works of Christianity if they deny the Lord Jesus Christ. So these men are going to come in, they're unaware, crept in, they're, they're ungodly men, and they, to the point of they deny the Lord Jesus Christ... Watch out for a person who says that they believe the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't believe he's God. That is false doctrine, and that is error. Verse 5, he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Notice there he says, he'll put us into remembrance. In other words, Judah saying, let me bring you back to the Old Testament to show you and to, to, to let to remind you of what happened. And he says confidently, though you knew this, though you once knew this. He's saying, do you remember? And you, you once knew this. He says, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Remember that there, he says, them that believed not. He destroyed those that didn't believe. Now, this was spoken about in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. And what does that say? Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. It says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief, not believing the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, the angels, now he's speaking of the angels in heaven. Where were they? In heaven, when? Before all of this happened, before the fall, they which kept not their first estate or didn't keep their place, but left their own habitation, the place where they dwelled. You had angels that were in heaven dwelling in the presence of very presence of God who were persuaded by Satan to leave that glorious, wonderful place 
to follow him into evil and to follow him into wickedness. And that is absolutely horrendous to think that holy angels of God who were before God were persuaded to leave that place and to take up evil and wickedness. That ought to be a warning sign to us that as we are resting and as we are in salvation, we too ought not to ever think about leaving our habitation that is in Christ Jesus. And you won't be if you are in Christ Jesus because verse 1 says that you are preserved in Christ Jesus. So you'll never want to leave. But these did. He says that he has reserved them in everlasting chains. What does that mean? Eternal bondage, always being in bondage to this darkness, under darkness to the judgment of the great day. And there is coming a day of judgment. Believe me, there is coming a severe day of judgment where everyone will be judged. And these will be judged as well for what they have done. Verse 7, he says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. We know what fornication means. Notice, pay close attention to this next sentence. And going after strange flesh. What does that mean? Homosexuality and lesbianism. Going after strange flesh. How could that be? Okay, was was there a different kind of human being on the earth around in Sodom and Gomorrah? Was there a different kind of human? Was there, was there some other kind of strange flesh that they went after? It's clear here, and, and people will try, try to deny this, but it is clear here that going after strange flesh is evil, wicked, abominable homosexuality and lesbianism, without a doubt. He says, what are they? Set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Those, he says, those angels that didn't keep their first estate, that he's reserved them into chains of darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. He uses the example of angels. He uses the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. And those, what was the reason that they had fornication and strange flesh? They, and what do they do? They're going to suffer the vengeance of eternal fire. Verse 8, he says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. What is he speaking of in verse 8 when he says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers? He is referring back to the men that he just described in verse 4, those certain men, that they are filthy dreamers, that in their mind all they can conjure up is filth and disgusting absolute disgusting filth and ideas and horrible things. They defile the flesh. They despise dominion and they speak evil of dignities. These people are horrible. And these, what are these people? These people crept in unaware. They're ungodly men. Now they're filthy dreamers. They defile the flesh. Do you know that in 2016 today that there is horrible things going on in the world? You can't even imagine the absolute filth and the garbage that people, unsaved people, and sadly even some saved people, participate in. Horrible, horrible, awful things that can't even be said from this pulpit. Verse 9, he says, Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a, a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Notice there that Michael the archangel, who has some prominence, he was contending about the, uh, the body of Moses with the devil, 
because that's why we do not know where Moses was buried. He just was up on the mountain and God buried him. I believe that God buried him in a secret place. And the devil wanted the body of Moses. For whatever reason, he wanted the body of Moses. And Michael the archangel came and disputed with him. But Michael, knowing such power of the Lord God, didn't even try as being an angel. Because basically, if you think about it, Michael and the devil, who is Satan, are basically equal in the fact that they are both angels. Satan is an angel, Michael is an angel, and they both have the same amount of power. Satan is an evil, wicked, horrible angel, and Michael is a good, holy angel. So he didn't dare to try to raise up himself. He merely went and did the best thing that you can do. And he said to the devil, the Lord rebuke you. What power. There's power in the name of the Lord. And this is what Michael employed. Using the Lord God, he said, the Lord rebuke you. It's just like the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke 4, where he said that the word of God was powerful. He used the word of God when The devil was coming against him in the temptations. He used the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Michael used and told the devil, the Lord rebuke you, which is the best thing to do. Verse 10, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. Again, but these speak, who's these? The men in verse 4, they speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. So really, verse 10 is, these men, they speak evil of the things they don't even know about. They, they, they are coming in and they're speaking about Christianity. They're speaking about things that they don't even have a clue about. And they're speaking evil about it. And you find that happening a lot where these men will come in and they'll begin to put down uh, the Lord's table. They'll begin to put down Oh, a person who believes every word of the Bible, they're crazy people. Putting those things down, speaking evil of those things of people that you can't do this and you can't, that's terrible. Why do that? You know, when you take a stand against sin, when you take a stand against homosexuality, you're going to be called out by those men and they're going to, there's people that were going to call you out to tell you you're bigoted and you're a hypocrite and all these horrible things. But he says that they, like natural brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Verse 11, and we'll finish up with verse 11. He says, Woe unto them, that's a stern rebuke, woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? The way of Cain is envy. The way of Cain is pride. And the way of Cain is murder. He says that they've gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, especially talking bad about the Lord's people and about Christianity and being paid for it. He says, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor, where all the men who spoke badly were destroyed. So there is the first uh, 11 verses of the book of Jude. We're going to finish the rest next week. And... uh, Remember, we're going to get into some good stuff next week. But remember that these men, this is what the Lord has Jude telling us about. These men in verse 4 who who were crept in unaware. And we have men like that today. 